Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings and 10 years ago I gave up my life's dream and career as a radio presenter with one big regret. Never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. And in this episode, delighted to say that I'm joined by the huge talent that is Connor O'Brien, otherwise known as the man behind Villagers. The multi-award winning musician and singer-songwriter, and that includes a couple of Ivan Novellos, by the way, is regularly called out by Paul as a huge talent. In fact, in the latest Mojo magazine, Paul says, I'm a big fan of Villagers. I always look forward to Connor's records because they're always very different. The new one, Fever Dreams, is very textured, very layered, but I think his lyrics, his arrangements and everything are off the charts. Pretty strong recommendation from Paul there. We're going to dig into his career, a love of Paul's music and collaborations together, including writing with Paul for 2018's True Meanings album. This is another real highlight in a series of highlights. So let's get into it. Connor O'Brien, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Where in the world do we find you right now? looks like you're back home, right? Yeah, I'm just in my apartment in Dublin City and just doing my laundry. (laughs) (laughs) i I, I forgot how much work touring is i forgot all the stuff before and after where you actually have to get your life back in order yeah (laughs) try and find some balance again and i'm really excited about talking to you and not least because i've been a fan since uh, very early days i've loved your stuff i think you're fantastic man so we'll we'll get into this there's so much to talk about we need to crack on first of all i thought it'd be useful to start actually as it's the paul weller fan podcast paul did a thing there was a little thing i found earlier on this year where paul did a q a with i think it was sunday observer and one of the questions came from you i don't know if you remember this so Mm -hmm. i'm going to read it out to you so one of my favorite memories of my musical development is trying to learn broken stones i was 12 or 13 and then writing my own version did Paul have a big impact on you from very early on yeah like very big I I remember I think Stanley Rowe came out when I was about that age and I was just learning guitar at the same time so it was one of those albums that just appeared as I was learning my fourth chord kind of thing you know and I remember just 
instantly being kind of sucked into it. And I'd previously like heard the kinks and stuff. And like my, my older sister had played me that. And my older brother was more into like Pink Floyd and the slightly more psychedelic side. And this album seemed to kind of mix those things a little bit. So I kind of could make sense of it very quickly. And yeah, I started trying to write versions of instantly, like a lot of those songs were sort of blueprints for my earliest sort of attempts at writing once I found that fourth kind of chord. <laughs> nice, nice. And how easy is it to learn the Stanley Road album as, uh, when you're learning guitar? Is it something that's, that's pretty straightforward or fairly complex? No, not at all. It was very much just me trying things and failing constantly. Um, <laughs> but I think I'd also maybe heard bits of the jam as well. And I think I was starting to put two and two together and realized there was like a back catalog and stuff. And I remember getting to the jam then after that. But the first album for me was was Stanley Road. Yeah. I remember thinking last night, oh, what should I talk about? Weller? And I remember I had a memory of like um, being like 13, 14. And there was this like um, a record store, like a tiny underground record store in Dublin in a place called Wicklow Street. And I used to used to go there and get like cassette tape bootleg recordings of gigs, you know, and there was lots of jam stuff there. And I remember just getting like a couple of VHS videos of like German TV specials and going over to my buddy Pete's house and drinking lots of tea and just watching it. <laughs> when everybody else was starting to go out and get drunk, we'd just be drinking tea and watching the jam and stuff. So um, one of my earliest Paul Weller related memories, but uh Brilliant. I mean, those three, that, yeah. those three produced such an amazing sound, didn't they? I mean, what a, what a, what a band. Yeah, totally. Great band. I posted a picture of myself and Paul recently on Instagram at the Roundhouse, and it was like a silhouette of both of us. But my hair looked particularly big, and a friend of mine sent me a text going, "Well, at least you got the Bruce Foxton cut." And when you were meeting Paul, you know, <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, it does! It looks like Bruce's hair." And I mean, you are a proper multi instrumentalist. I mean, there seems to be there's nothing, nothing you can't play from what I can work out. But the first thing was the guitar, was it? Actually, no. The first instrument for me was well, it was kind of the piano, but I. My first obsession was trying to be a drummer. So I used to kind of, I never really had drum. Well, I had drums a bit later, but I used to go into all the shops in Dublin and, <laughs> and just play on the <laughs> drums all the time until they kicked me out. Basically, that was, my, that was my introduction to music. And then I think for like, you know, my 12th birthday or something, I got like a, a little electronic drum pad and started a band. And I was like the lead singer and the drummer. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I didn't really know. Phil like Collins. Really <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I hadn't figured it out yet, quite yet. <laughs> and when was it that you knew that actually you you, know, you had talent in this space, you could do this and um, it was something you wanted to pursue as a career? Well, actually, kind of instantly, I was I was very, very obsessed with music. Like all I wanted to do was try and write more and more music. Like literally when, you know, once I was taught a couple of chords on the guitar, I sort of started thinking about I was doing piano lessons as well. My folks sent me to piano lessons and uh, I was very bored and I wasn't really digging it. But as soon as I picked up the guitar and started, you know, bashing around on drums and stuff, I, I, I was instantly just hooked on trying to make songs, even if I didn't know very much about how to make them. All I wanted to do was make songs, you know. So I think even in the first week of picking up the guitar, I'd sort of written a couple of tunes, you know, which actually kind of sounded like a bit like the jam because I was copying Green Day at the time and stuff. Right. But I, and I, I didn't realize they were sort of copying The Clash. And, you know, it was sort of 
slightly punky stuff I was writing at the start. So. Interesting, right. I mean, that seems a world away from that first beautiful debut album, which um, Becoming a Jackal, which was, I mean, I love that. It's such a fabulous piece of work. And it feels that, I mean, that to me feels like such a long time ago, but actually it was only 11 years ago, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It does feel like that. <laughs> <It feels, laughs> You've done a lot since fine. then. I mean, my goodness me. Yeah, the world has done a lot since then yeah. as well. Yeah, it's true. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it does seem longer than that for me as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't really feel like the same person who wrote that as much as I admire it, I can't, I almost can't understand the person who wrote it. It's really strange. But. And we'll get into this kind of development bit. And you can hear this through the albums that come since. And we'll get into that. And this incredible new album, I have to say, it's, it's an amazing piece of work. But that first album, I must have discovered it through Paul Weller, I think, because I remember at the time him in latching onto that. And he's been such a big supporter of your work. So can you remember the first time that he was talking about that album? And it, and it then became such a thing where it got like Mercury Music. I mean, not because of Paul, obviously, because it was a great album, but yeah, it got Mercury Music nominated and stuff like that. But can you remember mm. him referencing? I remember being on Jules Holland all of a sudden and playing the title track solo and he was directly across the room just kind of watching it and I remember, I remember just thinking this is pretty weird that's surreal <laughs> I think I remember my manager talking to him that day and my manager telling me that he was digging the, the tunes and stuff and that kind of blew my mind I was kind of in a weird like when I when I was doing that first album when I was touring I was sort of whatever happened psychologically in my brain it's not the same thing that's happening now it, I, I was sort of in a bubble it was really strange and I was kind of just focused 100% on trying to represent the songs and a lot of external stuff wasn't really hitting me the same way it would now you know I'm at the stage now where where I'm just I'm actually feeling even more grateful for things than I used to. When I was when I was bringing that album out, I was kind of I think I was I had a little bit of an arrogance almost. I was just like 100% focused, and I didn't really care about what people were thinking, even if they were heroes of mine. <laughs> it was kind of a it was a youthful it was a bit of a youthful arrogance. I think I remember seeing a gig that was um, Waterloo Tunnels, um, London Waterloo, the Underground Tunnels. If you remember this, mm. and the reason I bring it up is because. There's always been a visual side to your work as well. And I remember going in and um, for some reason I had no money on me whatsoever. I just had the tickets for the gig. And there was all this artwork that you'd done as well. And you used to produce like the posters for the gigs as well. And I remember at the time going, bloody hell, I'm going to regret not having one of these later on. <laughs> um, but you, you've always like visually been, that's a big side of things, how you kind of present the work as much as anything else too, yeah? Yeah, definitely. When I was making that, those first, that first album, I was, I was living in this big house with, a bunch of other people who were kind of artists and musicians. And, and I was sort of just living in the world of the music and, and trying to make drawings which were related to it and just probably smoking too much weed. and <laughs> just kind of like really just really living inside the art, you know, that, that really was what I was doing back then. And there was no sort of sense of a separation of life and work. And it was all just very much like very focused on it you know, in an aesthetic way and all the aesthetic ways really so and obviously Mercury Music Prize nominated that album up against Paul Weller I don't know if you know this so he was yeah Wake Up The Nation was his nomination um, you mm. obviously for, the, for your album I don't think either of you won though if I remember rightly did you? No 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 we, uh, oh. who won? I, remember, I can't remember I yeah. was it Radiohead maybe? No I would have remembered that definitely it was was it James? No, maybe James Blake was the year after. I can't, I can't actually. Yeah, and no, I'm not sure. But yeah, so there's a nice, nice link there as well. When did you first meet Paul? Was it around the touring time when you, when you spent time with him or was it before that? Yeah, it was around the touring time. I don't think I really met him at the Jewels thing. I think it was more my manager. So it was a few years later. It was about five years later, actually. He invited 
us to tour with him on on the west coast in, in America and uh, and I brought sort of a three piece ensemble myself and two other amazing players. Yeah, he just introduced himself to me on the first night and was super super cool and and you know made us feel really welcome. And then, and then brought me a record, a villagers record to sign. <laughs> just, <laughs> Brilliant! Uh, and I was just like, yeah, "This is the wrong way around. This, isn't, <laughs> this, this shouldn't be happening." But that was a really, really nice tour. Yeah, and I remember getting on stage with with him and the band and and singing Wild Wood with him, and that kind of cemented things a bit. It was it was a super super cool experience. Yeah, there's a little clip of that on YouTube. And was that a surprise? Did you? I mean, how much did you know in advance you were going to be doing that? Did he just pull you up from the wings or? Uh, I think uh, about halfway through the tour, he just mentioned, do you want to do a song? And I think he, get, he asked me which one I'd want to do. And they hadn't been playing Wildwood. So I, I was cheeky and said, can you add that into it, the set? And, and uh, it's one of my favorites. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. Like other people guessed that on that tour, Miles Kane popped up and um, the late, great Nolan Porter popped up as well on that tour as well. It was pretty, I mean, this is pretty magical stuff, right? West Coast of America, was it? West Coast of America. Yeah, yeah. And you were touring your, you were, it was your third album at that point, wasn't it? Yeah. So we were touring like a, the most mellow Villagers album. So it was Darling Arithmetic, which is very much, it's all that super, super intimate and really kind of, it's all just about, you know, intimate expression and acoustic guitars and just a little bit of ambient stuff over the top, maybe a touch of piano. It was a funny one because he was touring quite a rocky album. You know, it was quite, it was quite a heavy show and he convinced me to put him. Um, an older villager song into the set and it really worked actually because we were playing quite a mellow set for the first couple of shows and then he was like oh why don't you put occupy your mind into the set and and, and just rock it up a little bit so we were like okay let's just do it and so we rehearsed it and sound check and played it um i can't remember where it was the first night maybe it was san francisco or something he was right yeah it just it just changed the set a little bit and gave it a little bit more dynamic and it worked with his show a little bit more so nice so how do you and how do you approach each album do you have an idea when you're going into creating some thing of where you want it to go or is it literally um you know it, wherever it takes you is fine i think the latter I, i'm kind of at that stage again right now so i'm literally asking that question to myself <laughs> uh, at the moment and i think every time i start making music i always ask that question and i never get the answer but while i'm trying to get the answer i've written a couple of tunes you know and then it just starts forming itself i think maybe it's you know it's, it's the death knell for creativity if you actually try and force some sort of pattern onto things too early so it's for me it's just about searching you know and being able to write uncomfortable things and weird things and and know that you can get rid of them before people see them and you know lots of lots of layers i think in the writing process for me and that album darling arithmetic won you a second ivor novella award does that mean something to you in terms of that, that kind of recognition i mean it does it's a recognition of, of the writing you know rather than commercial success or any of that stuff so i think it's voted for by writers and musicians and stuff so yeah i was chuffed with that it was really cool i remember when i got i got the first one for becoming a jackal i was in such a spaced out zone that i just went up to the stage and i remember just seeing the first person i saw was elton john just staring back at me while i was doing speech and i just i just went <laughs> cheers thanks and then just ran off the stage kind of thing <laughs> um so this time around i remember before the ceremony paul gambaccini came up to me put his hand on my shoulder and went, if you get it this time, could you say a few more words, please? <laughs> this time I actually had a little speech ready and it, and it was, was slightly better. Right. <laughs> and that album seems like a really open album. It's like you're wearing your heart on your sleeve on that album. It seems mm. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's another beautiful thing, I have to say. Yeah, totally. I just kind of go where the, 
where the wind blows with the songs really and I just wanted to write about lots of things sexuality and love and and it just felt like the right time to do it it was kind of it was connected to the marriage equality referendum in Ireland as well and we had some really amazing shows around the time which were literally like the day before and the day after the results came out so the whole thing was a really emotionally charged kind of year promoting that album and it all felt like I don't know, I, I felt kind of proud of it because I hadn't planned it that way, but it sort of felt like the music was, you know, riding on the crest of a wave with what was happening in the country as well. And it was kind of a really interesting time. And then am I right in thinking, if we fast forward to 2017, Paul Weller releases A Kind Revolution. Um, am I right in thinking that's the first time you worked together where you've you remixed one of his tracks? Yeah, she missed Through the Fair. Yeah, that was a totally, yeah, it was weird. I loved doing that. It was a very strange experience. I think he was quite surprised with the results because I, it wasn't really a remix. It was almost like a reworking. I changed the chords and added acoustic guitars. And then I put this kind of electric prunesy kind of electric guitar at the end and just kind of completely changed it. And I think I was right in the middle of making The Art of Pretend to Swim. So I was really, really in studio mode. Um, so it all happened. I was able to do it all very fast and kind of and buzz in a kind of buzzy way, you know. And what did you get from Paul? So, did, do you, what type of brief do you get from him? How does that come about? Where did he ask you? Did he say, you know, I'm working on this new album, pick a track, or you know, how much stuff did you have to work from? I think he just sent me the track and just said, do with it what you will. He seems to sort of work like that quite a lot. I, I've noticed he, he kind of just wants to let the creative juices flow and there's he never really wants to give a brief you know and that was you know that's always very inspiring it's open season then and you can just make anything you want and yeah and there's not like um, a endless rounds of amends where he's giving feedback and asking you to change this that and the other or whatever it's like actually trust where you're going to go with it and where you're going to take it no i think i just i think you just sent me a text saying oh this is wild this is cool thanks Thanks, brother. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, 2018 is a really special year for output from Villagers. That album, The Art of Pretending to Swim, that you mentioned is is an incredible piece of work as well. I remember, I remember seeing you on Jules Holland, and I think I'm right in saying that Weller was on the same night. Was, would that have been the case again? I think he was, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, both times we've been on, he's been on. I wonder if that's a <laughs> coincidence. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because he did Gravity <laughs> with Steve Craddock and, mm. and there's like a string section as well. Um, and you did, was it Fool you did, if I'm right there? We did Fool and A Trick of the Lights. Oh, yeah. love A Trick of the Lights. Oh my God, that's such a great tune, honestly. Oh, thanks, man. I saw you do that at the Roundhouse a few weeks back and was like, yeah, that's oh, honestly, what a fabulous song. And the other thing we should talk about is this here. This is, this is here we are. True Meanings, there you go. The Weller album that so many people who have come on the podcast talk about how much they love this album. And it's a really interesting thing because it's the first time that I can remember where a lot of the lyrics are not written by Paul. And the opening track, The Soul Searchers, and we'll talk about the Roundhouse gig in a sec as well. Yeah. The lyrics written by you. So how did that come about? Well, he just said, do you want to collaborate on a song? And then he sent me sort of a phone recording just of him like playing the riff and mumbling, just mumbling non-words kind of thing, just getting a sense of what the melody is. And that was it, really. I think he maybe sent me a second kind of voice memo which was a little bit more developed then but n none of them had any actual words it was just kind of sounds and then again I was in the middle of recording so it, it kind of happened fast I played the riff into computer and then just looped it and then the words just came very very quickly yeah it was it was kind of an easy an easy thing and I added sort of string samples and drum samples and bass guitar and then just sent it to them. And I think a couple of months later, Paul sent me back like a version which had like the strings that I had created on samples, but it was played by real people. 
and your man from the zombies, Rod oh, Argent. Rod Argent, yeah. Rod Argent yeah. playing um, playing ha- Hammond Organ and stuff. <laughs> it's just like, this is wild. This is so cool. <laughs> and was there any pressure on you for writing for Paul Weller? Because it's different to writing, writing for yourself, I'm sure. And, and were you thinking I have to be writing you know, about what he'd be thinking? Or what, how did it work writing for somebody else like that? It wasn't really like that because I'd sort of listened to Paul's music since I was making music. So it's it's a part of my kind of writing. You know, it's part of, along with a lot of other artists as well, but he's definitely one of the central figures in that because I was, as I was developing my skills and stuff when I was younger, he was very much, I was using a lot of his songs as blueprints and stuff. So there was no sense of like having to fit into someone else's mold. It was just, I'm just going to write music that feels feels good to me and it kind of yeah it clicked i think the only thing he really changed was i think i had originally called it the searching soul and he just thought the soul searchers would be better and then i discovered the band the soul searchers and really got into them for a while kind of funky funky soul band from the i think late 60s early 70s it just felt really natural and quite easy how did you land on that topic the soul searchers then and this 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 kind of opening line here's one for the searching soul in the moonlight it's all right mm. i think his chords sounded like they were searching for something they just suggested to me that it was a song for somebody who's searching for something deeper inside or or maybe an authenticity or something away from maybe a more plastic thing that's happening around them and and that was just the starting point and and then the rhythm of the song just suggested the rest of the words um that was it really it kind of sets up the album really nicely. Did you know anything about the rest of the album at that time? Were you aware of some of the other things going on with it? No, I don't think he had sent me anything, anything else. But I think he told me he was writing something a little bit more philosophical and a bit more acoustic based. And that was it. I think that might have been part of the brief. He was just like, maybe you can keep it a little bit more thoughtful and a bit more acoustic based. You know, kind of right. thing, so. Now, another one for us Weller fans, which was a lovely thing, was um, actually pre-lockdown, pre this this horror that we've gone through over the past couple of years, but this little YouTube show called The Black Barn Sessions, and it was recorded at Black Barn to Paul Weller's HQ, his studios, a, a really special place. The Mysterines, Miles Kane, people like Sam Henshaw, and then you're on a couple of episodes but obviously recorded in one time. And I'm all right in thinking that you turned up and they literally got you to record straight away. Was that right? Yes. How did you know that? I brought some good clothes uh, with me and then they just stayed in my bag because <laughs> I, I I just I was just wearing what I wore on the flight over because I forgot to, to I forgot to dress up for the for the cameras. Yeah, they were just like, "Do you want to do it now?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And then we we just recorded, and and the rest of the day was kind of just hanging out. So, did you think so that was going to be a rehearsal, and then actually you could then get changed into your nice clothes? <laughs> Maybe, perhaps. Yeah, I'm definitely wearing like a shirt with like a ripped shoulder and some sandals that have been worn for about four years and uh, it wasn't up to the standards uh, uh, that, that I would usually you know <laughs> well, it wasn't up to Paul's standards definitely not at all so yeah, I'll, I'll atone for that for the rest of my life perhaps. and what did you make of Black Barn Studios I thought it was amazing it felt like going into a secret world Paul's driver Jez he picked me up from the airport and a uh, beautiful drive because it's such such a gorgeous area, the rural kind of area. I just remember kind of because it's actually quite deep into a into a laneway and then another turn, another turn. And eventually when you get there, you really feel like you're kind of in the world of Black Barn. Yeah, it was magical. It was very, very cool. Very, very cool studio inside. Lots of amazing equipment. It was a great experience. 
Yeah, lots of really old stuff as well, isn't there? Like some yeah, really old. All the best. Yeah, 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 which is great. So you did two tracks for the show. Uh, Nothing arrived, which is such. A, I mean, such a beautiful song, and was the finale to the the recent gigs as well. I don't know if it was a it was a mix of a number of things for me, whereby I was back seeing live performance again. It's a beautiful song, and I'm getting a bit older, but there were like tears in my eyes on that performance. Wow. Honestly, it has cool. such a connection. It's such a lovely thing. And then Summer's Song, which was a brand new like single at the time, so not on any of the albums. But yeah, which way round did you record it? one of them was just you which was you and guitar and then the other one was like full weller band with you wasn't it i did the solo song first yeah i just went in and, and blasted that out i think i've sung about two thousand times at this stage so that's not really something i'd need to do many takes of and then yeah and then paul came in and we started just jamming summer's song and he had added this i could tell they'd kind of rehearsed it a bit and he'd added this um piano line and kind of got a bit more of a style cancel vibe about it i thought because it sort of sounds a bit like that anyway and yeah i think we maybe just did like two takes i'd only just started playing the flugelhorn around that time i think the first take had a couple of bum notes and then and the second take i got it it was yeah. very very hot and summery that day as well so oh no ties in nicely I was going to say trumpet in hand but shows what a musical philistine I am um, that it's the flugelhorn um, but I didn't know that you could play that so that was that was really early on in you playing that was it yeah I've, I've ditched the flugelhorn recently I've, I've started I've gone back to the trumpet again because it's a bit more versatile but uh, but yeah back then I didn't really know what the hell I was doing so I was bringing a bit, a bit of the classical world into, into rock and roll and I've heard you talk about some of the song being the closest you'll ever get to writing a pure pop song yeah I remember writing it just thinking basically I wrote it for a gig we we had a a show in Dublin coming up, which was the biggest show we'd ever done. It was four thousand people outdoors, headline villager show, and it was going to be like in July. And I was like, I want to write a song for that show, and it, I want it to be absolutely no. I don't want there to be any complications in the lyrics. I don't want there to be a twist. <laughs> I had to really like stop myself from adding a weird dark twist. <laughs> bring it back to you know. I just wanted to be about like feeling good summertime and that's it you know and, and unapologetically kind of poppy and yeah it worked it was a real it was a it was a real blast to play at the show we pull it out every now and again that in, in the set and it's it's kind of just a nice one to fall back on just yeah. people to boogie to nice nice well yeah and I'll, I'll share the link for the black barn version in in the show notes as well because it's obviously you and but paul on piano steve pilgrim on, on acoustic guitar you've got stevie craddock there which is always a joy mm. to see mr craddock i mean what a talent he is right Amazing guitar player, yeah. And then Ben on drums and Andy Crofts as well, who's been on the podcast recently. And Tom Hill, should mention Tom as well. So Full Weller Band with you, which must be like a great band experience. Yeah, yeah, really Mm. tight, really great. I don't know if you saw it, Paul was interviewed on Absolute Radio earlier on this year when the new album Fat Pop came out. Did you see that at all? No, I didn't. Okay, it was a little thing called Through the Decades. And so basically he had to pick, for every year from the 60s through to now, he had to pick an album that he loved. Um, And it got to, I think it must have been the 2010s, I suppose that's what we're calling them. Oh, a and he called, set me this. Yes, yes. Yeah, he called you out and he talks about you being a genius, um, but, uh, which is always, uh, must be amazing to hear, right, from one of your heroes. But talks <laughs> also about you being, you know, just getting better and better. And do you feel that evolution yourself that with your latest LP that you can refer back to the one, you know, in, in 2010, you can see that journey and just feel that you're getting better at your craft? Um, I don't know. It's kind of complicated. I, I, I sort of, I feel like I'm doing something different and I think that's enough for me, you know. I don't think it's helpful to feel like I'm getting better. So I don't think that really. There are things that I can't access anymore, which I used to. And there are things that I'm accessing now, which I've never gone 
mirror before. So it's just different for me. I feel like I'm kind of making music which is more based on the overall arrangement and the texture of things and maybe a little bit more influenced by library music and soundtrack music and and just music for music's sake. Whereas I think when I started writing, I was sort of like, it was, it might've been a bit more of a psychological exercise. So I'm always kind of trying to figure out what's getting me going and not getting me going. And that's, that's enough for me, you know, kind of thing. And the songs are kind of the results of that, you know, but it was very nice of Paul to say so. <laughs> I've got a t-shirt made. Paul Weller said I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> Little does he know. <laughs> he's a fine judge of character I have to say there's been a lot of musical recommendations that come from Mr Weller over the years that have, that have really stacked up but he's at the moment about to go on tour at the time of recording we're uh, you know, less than a week away from him going on tour they're rehearsing around 40 tracks I understand but he's talked about having to connect with the old songs he can't just pluck something out of the jam back catalogue and play it he has to connect with it I get the sense from you that it's very much the same thing from that first album that some of the stuff that was some of the things you wrote you just can't connect with those songs anymore would that be right? Yeah Definitely. I mean, I think a lot of my favorite songs by Paul are the ones that kind of even sing about, talk about that, you know, like about that sense of authenticity and, and that sort of feeling of like, you know, if you're not, if you're not feeling it, then what's the point? There's a couple of tunes which I have never gone near from my old, from my back catalog. Cause I just don't think I was really, you know, there's a song on the second album, which <laughs> where I was sort of just vaguely dipping into kind of atheist books and songs about like why you shouldn't believe in a god and all this kind of stuff and then I was I was, but I wasn't really digging into that enough so I was writing these sort of naive tunes about like why I don't know there's just lots of stuff where I'm like oh god I tried to tackle a subject there which I hadn't really looked into enough you know whereas when I'm writing now I'm kind of like I try to write from a bit more of a humble place and I try to write from a sense of like I don't know anything and I need to just keep trying to explore through the medium of music kind of thing. So, yeah, the arrogance of youth is definitely something that can be can be positive and negative, I think, when it comes to um, making things that exist in the world for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, we have to talk about 2021 and this fabulous, fabulous thing, um, which is Fever Dreams, your latest album. Um, the great thing about this, and again, we talk about like how you present things. You get like four different covers. I don't know which one's the right cover. I think it's the bear, isn't it, on the front with the swimming pool? But Mm. take your pick but again an absolute magical piece of work and this fabulous thing was the there was this little video this like live youtube gig i think the night before release if i remember rightly which was the eve of fever dreams where you did three of the songs um and we got this like little sneak preview of what was about to come and mm. and this was recorded before lockdown this album was it yeah so the full band stuff was done just before lockdown sort of maybe a six month period and then we had like a final day of recording booked in and on that final day, that was the first day we kind of broke the rules a little bit for a couple of hours. It was the first day you were meant to just not be around people. So we were like frantically trying to like finish stuff off. And then we took all of the files home. Uh, well, I took all the files home then and luckily had, yeah, a really great body of work to kind of to then work on and, and, and develop over over lockdown. And I have a little home studio in my apartment. It's just a tiny little kind of attic room. And then I just worked remotely with string players and brass players and, and singers and stuff. I'm sort of glad we got all the full band stuff in because I feel like that's really the core of the energy of the album. You know, the sound of a bunch of players in a room just 
really enjoying playing together, you know. And then all the overdub stuff is just sort of to me is just icing on the cake. It's the actual energy of the players is really is really the core of it for me. So yeah, well, it's a really rich sound. It's it's really full. It's 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 a beautiful thing. And I wanted to talk about those those three tracks that you played on that that YouTube night before the album thing, which was um, the first day, which I think was the first. I don't even know know if singles are a thing anymore, are they? But I think it was the first single. If that's such yeah. a thing. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if you can buy them as singles and seven inches and all that thing. I don't know if that's a thing that exists. But that song, I mean, it just builds and builds and builds and builds into this beautiful thing. Where did that come from? That that song for you, and was it one of the early ones that you cracked? Yeah, it, it was one of the. It was actually one of the songs that went through the most processes so there was like a lot of different versions of that song and the first version was just this weird kind of techno-y thing it was I came back from a festival in County Meath in Ireland called another love story festival and I couldn't finish the party so (laughs) so I started making more music which I was dancing to at the festival and uh, (laughs) and called it I think I called it love story because the festival was called another love story and that was the beginning of the first day and then it just yeah slowly morphed into I think there was probably about seven versions of the song overall wow. and it gradually became like a, a villager's tune it gradually just became you know a song with a voice and an actual chorus and an actual verse and, but it really didn't start that way it all just started as a kind of an energy you know but I wanted to keep that energy in, in the song. That was a nice little project. Mm. It's such a soulful LP as well. I think when I think about Paul Weller and On Sunset, um, and you think about your new album as well, the two of them, I, I played them the other day, like back to back. So I put On the Sunset on, and I was like, oh, I'm going to listen. Oh, cool. To it. And it's like, yeah. it was like a, there was, I don't know, this is obviously completely unintentional, but I was like, oh, there's a lovely flow between these two LPs because they just both scream, scream summer in a way as well and sunshine, but there's such a soulful sound on them, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's always been something with Paul, hasn't it? Like the Wilson Pickett and the Otis Redding and, you can really hear that in his music. Even the even in the jam cover, the Midnight Hour, and from the very beginning, the soul things has always been there. So I was very much obsessed with, uh, well, maybe more jazz with this record, but it probably came out in, in a soulful way. I was more obsessed. I was kind of really into Alice Coltrane and uh, lots of kind of spiritual jazz music, just groovy music, music, yeah, music yeah. for. Music for a vibe, you know, like music that's not trying to prove a point or something. I, it's weird. I, I, that's sort of something I've been sort of laughing into the last kind of few years. It's like, don't try and prove anything. Don't try and write smart music. Don't try and show people that you've read a book or something. Just make music that is enjoyable and, and, and brings brings joy to people you know that's kind of that's like a very novel idea for me <laughs> it's like a, new, a new project suddenly just appeared on my lap like in the last couple of years but, um, well you say that but I did have to google what simpatico meant for your song so simpatico <laughs> <laughs> But now I know, <laughs> um, which is, again, is the other track. I mean, that's such a lovely song, that is. Where did that come from? Actually, well, I was saying not, not, not about books, but it actually did come from, <laughs> it came from this, I was reading, <laughs> I was reading a book. Uh, well, it was a book of poems by this Spanish poet called Federico Garcia Lorca. And I was on a very rare holiday in Spain, in Granada, in Andalusia. He's from just outside Granada. And uh, I was kind of just doing kind of mountain walks and soaking in where he grew up and reading his poetry and, and just the word simpatico. I mean, it's used in, a, in Italian as well, but it's, it's Spanish as well. It's used in Spanish as well. And uh, I just, it was just in my notebook for a while. And, and I had too many words. He, he was kind of a surrealistic writer. So he was, he would have been friends with Salvador Dali and stuff. And, and his writing was very layered and interesting and weird. So, so simpatico, the villager song had that at the beginning. And then the whole project was to try and get rid of all that complication. And my drummer helped me with that when we were doing the Fever Dreams sessions. I was about to throw the song out because it just had 
too many words. And he just, my drummer was just like, no, 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 it's got a groove to it. Let's just jam it. And then I started playing with that early recording and realizing I could just get rid of all the words and just make it into a, a song about just a vibe, really. And that was when the song suddenly came alive. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. So that could have, that may not have made the album at one point. You'd have just, what, what binned it, it put it away for a later yeah. date? Oh, yeah. It had a lot more weird little diminished minor chords and stuff in it. And it was just trying too hard, you know, and it was trying to find the song inside inside all of that stuff which wasn't thinking too much and so when your album goes out how do you feel the night before an album release at that point you've had reviews so you must know it's going to land hopefully fingers well but you there must be a bit of nervousness about putting your work out into the world is there it's a funny one because i'm so close to the songs always that it's kind of irrelevant like i do i put my hands up i read pretty much every review (laughs) and i and i like i agree with almost everything like I agree with all the negative stuff and all the positive stuff. And I'm just like, that's all cool, you know, and it doesn't change anything to do with my relationship to the song. So it doesn't really affect my nerves or anything. I just, there's no other album that could, I could have possibly made once the album has been released because so much work has been put into it. I didn't have another option. This is the, this is the result of my work. And that's it, you know. It's just exciting more than more than nerve wracking for me. It's like finally it's out in the world, you know. Got rave reviews. I mean, so here's just a couple of the reviews, guys. You have to listen to this album if you haven't done already. Uh, this is an album that demands to be properly listened to, not reduced to background music. And I think that's interesting in this kind of Spotify age where it's all about playlists and people pick the odd song here and there and stuff. I actually disagree with that. I think it does make good background music. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I love a bit of background great. music. Yeah, that's very true. Um, Fever Dreams is a beautiful record full of hope and colour and joy is another one. Um, and I, I absolutely agree. But I do th- I do think you have to sit down and listen to it in full. I, don't pick and choose these tracks, this, that and the other. It's a journey from the start to the finish for me. Well, that's good, yeah. I mean, you can listen to it in the foreground, the background, but, but listen to it from start to finish, yeah. Yeah. Now let's talk about live performance because that must have been a bit weird in lockdown over the past couple of years not being able to perform live but i guess there's a risk as well putting an album out there of would you be able to tour it but the other week the uk tour um i saw you at the roundhouse i was there front row it was an incredible experience and had so you talk about vibe earlier on it had such a great vibe about it that gig um how was it being back on the road again it was amazing that gig was particularly exciting because we got our well a lot of reasons i guess because Mr. Weller was there too. And, and then there was also, we brought over our brass ensemble, the Greenhorns, and, and we just really went all out to put on like a big, as, as big a possible villager show, you know, and it was magic. We'd had a, a really great couple of weeks leading up to it and just getting back into the, the spirit of things. And so that by the time we got to the roundhouse, it was, it was a well-oiled kind of machine. Uh, and it felt like we could just settle into the songs and just present them as, as as well as we could, really. I mean, you could feel that connection with the audience as well, which I guess is the whole point of, of live, right? Mm-hmm. It was, oh yeah, it was such a nice atmosphere for that. And and there were times when you were singing and and there was you could hear a pin drop. The attention mm-hmm. for people watching was like people were totally into it, weren't they? Yeah, it felt really magical. I think there's something about that room as well. We played we played there once before for the Arctic Tent Swim, and it was just as it was just as magic. So yeah, there was a there was a nice marrying of of music and and people and and the room as well it was really bring something to it. So you could hear that some of the jazz influences that you mentioned as well, and and you were there at times like the trumpet would come out. And there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. One is about your microphone technique. So this is a I mean this is a bit of a daft question. Uh, I'm sure people will probably be groaning. There's things that you do where you kind of lean back and you walk away from the microphone, but you then and I'm doing it now, which is probably not helping me talk. Um, but you then start you're still singing and stuff. And it's just, there's, 
are you conscious of these kind of techniques to kind of lift the song and and you know lift the performance and how how you do these things? Does that make sense? Even make sense as a question. I don't know if it is that, but yeah. Yeah, I've always kind of done that. It's a weird one. People actually ask me about it quite often, so it must be something that perhaps other singers don't do as often. But it's always been a natural thing for me. I've never really thought about it. I I quite like the idea of if you're singing a verse and you really want it to sound like it's beside somebody's ear in a very intimate kind of kind of tender way but then later if the band is rocking out a bit more you can just go you know a meter away from the microphone and just shout as loud as you want to but it's like this it almost creates an extra layer which you can play with in the in the music you know you can sort of have different emotions but realize that perhaps it's just becoming another instrument in the song rather than your own kind of rather than like the lead singer doing something yeah it's kind of a it's, it's it's something that i've always done yeah it's been a big part of the show and i love the bits where the trumpet came out as well there were the, the, some of these magical bits within the songs where you'd you know suddenly you'd, you'd stop singing grab the trumpet and the band's playing with you it was, it was a really beautiful thing yeah i'm getting there i'm getting there at the trumpet i'm sort of i'm not rehearsing it enough i need to i need to get back into it but yeah there was no bum notes that night <laughs> And now let's talk about Weller being at the gig as well. So I was I was having a um, a chicken sandwich over the road before the gig started um, and looking forward to the gig. And um, I went on Facebook and Paul Weller and his guitar tech, Roger, were down in Camden at the Modfather, which is like a, a clothing place where Nicky Weller works occasionally, his sister. And they took a photo and I was like, why would Paul be with his guitar tech in Camden? <laughs> And then I was like, hold on, is this going to be, is it going to... Anyway, so I, I come into the, the um, arena, come into the roundhouse, get front row, prime position, and I looked up in the balcony and there was Paul. And I put on my Twitter, you'll never guess who's here. And apparently it just went mental. People said to me that this came up backstage. I don't know if it came up with you or other people. But basically, I, had I spoiled the entire surprise? I don't know. <laughs> no. I remember passing the Mod Father, actually. We went to get food after soundcheck and I'd never seen it before. And I was like... I was like, maybe that's where Paul lives. And we found his, um, maybe this is his second home in London. But no, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know there was a, a pre pre gig oh, whispering. And then obviously, um, it, when it happened, so how did that come about? Did you know really early on that that's what you were going to do, and he was he was going to be part of the London show? Yeah, I just I think I, I think I just asked him a few months ago, previous to the show, and he was just instantly super positive about it and he suggested doing the soul searchers which i thought was a great idea because why not it's the song we wrote together i got the band to rehearse it and then we sent paul a recording of the rehearsal just to see just to make sure it all lined up and then we just played it once or twice in soundcheck and it just clicked very nicely but then i also had the idea to get him out at the end of a villager song called circles in the firing line which is probably our my most rock and roll moment so far in the Villages live show uh, where I, I get to rock a Telecaster and I even get to play a guitar solo, which was which is a lot of fun. But we decided that, you know, Paul came out sort of maybe mid-set and then this song, Circles and Firing Line, is like the last song of the set. So we just thought, let's just surprise people and get them to just wander back out again at the end of the show. And it was just such an amazing moment, you know. I, I really got the sense that people, when he, when he came back out again, it was just, there was such a vibe in the room. And we just, <laughs> we just rocked out in a way that I haven't really yet, haven't done with villagers before. We didn't really know what we were doing. So we just kept like playing as loud as possible. And he just rocked the solo and it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, it was brilliant that because I remember I was I was right by that that electric guitar of yours, and I was like, "Is that when's he kind of play that?" That's not like we were getting closer <laughs> and closer to the end of the set, and I was like, "It's not. Is that just there for show? What's happening?" And then yeah, yeah this so, this song so even on the record that song for for a short while takes off in a, in that world, doesn't it? it? Goes a bit rockier at the end of it, mm. but, but live I was like, "Is that not normally the case then on the on the on the tour? Have you not kind of rocked out as much as that on that on that song?" Um, I think we extended it a little bit more. Just right. for Paul on this, just to kind of, yeah, keep going on it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that it doesn't, it's kind of underused. Uh, I think I'm going to, I have a feeling I might write some songs based on playing the electric now because I'm enjoying it so much. Yeah, I'm going to have my Judas moment, Dylan Judas moment. <laughs> next. It did feel like, yeah, it was like, a glimpse maybe of what's to come next because it was like, yeah, it suited you. Rocking out really suited you. Like, you know. Well, I mean, I guess none of us can really escape our very first influences. And that would be what I used to do when I was first learning guitar, you know, because my older brother gave me an electric guitar. I, I didn't touch an acoustic guitar until a few years after learning all the chords, really. So, so I used to play music with distortion pedals and I used to play in bands when I was a kid. And it was all about like, rocking out an electric guitar and just playing as loud as possible and and playing weird little college shows and jumping on top of tables and you know it's kind of that's kind of where I come from kind of Mm -hmm. indie rock kind of world so Villagers was very much a break from that so this feels like a full circle thing you know it's kind of fun to do because it's sort of feels like coming home <laughs> after being in the wilderness for 10 years. <laughs> the the <laughs> folk you, wilderness. And you talk about rocking out. I mean, it wasn't one of, one of your early gigs supporting Neil Young as well. If we talk about it, happy birthday, Neil Young, the day we were recording. It's I think that was actually our, I think that might've been our second ever full band show. Wow. <laughs> Which was, I, I could be wrong there, but it was definitely like maybe the first of one of the first show, Villagers full band shows. We played like, maybe it was our third. We played a couple of support slots in a small venue called Whelan's in Dublin. And then a promoter saw us play and offered us the arena show with Neil Young. <laughs> <laughs> like the following week or something. So it was quite a baptism of fire. It was amazing. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And Neil's crew were all super cool. We didn't really get to meet Neil. He kind of walked by us and waved a little bit, but, but it was, uh, yeah, it was a cool experience. That's brilliant. I mean, I have to say the album comes alive live. It's a lovely record, but in live performance, it was a really beautiful thing. There was that big connection, like I mentioned, these songs live just sounded like, wow, wow, wow. But the other thing, you mentioned Paul earlier on how cool he looks and how maybe you didn't that one time at Black Barn, but I mean, you guys look so cool when you're on stage. Throughout that whole gig, I was like, he looks cool. Is there an element where you, you look like wow. at times when you're like, <laughs> no, there are elements where you look like, God, this is the best job ever. You look like you know that this this is just a brilliant, brilliant life that you've got here. Oh, yeah. Well, I was really enjoying that show. Yeah. I mean, like, I do this because I'm kind of addicted to it. And, and just getting back to touring after this last two years, whatever, has made, has just reconfirmed to me that that's, this is really what I, I live for. Because I'm actually, you know, I'm not, I'm quite a, a private person and I'm, not, I'm quite introverted as a person. And that's kind of why I write, you know, that's a, a large reason why I write because. You know, I'm quite an introverted person, but when I'm on stage, I really feel like I've earned the ability to be there because I I put so much work into my songs and the music and and it just puts me into this dream state where like time is just means nothing and I'm just... Yeah, I love it. I'm just totally obsessed with it. So I'm just going to do it forever. <laughs> ah, well, we look, we all look forward to that, I have to say. So 2022, back on tour and on the road. So a bit of a break for Christmas and that, but then back on the road mm. in January across Europe. And and I'm guessing that's been pretty challenging post-Brexit and all that to, to organise those kind of things nowadays, yeah? It's very challenging. God, 
even to just cross the Irish Sea is much more challenging. <laughs> yeah, everything everything is happening, but um, yeah, we're gonna do it. Uh, I can't wait. Um, it's gonna be magic. We're gonna, you know, it's gonna be freezing, and we're gonna, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna yeah. play lots of. Uh, we're going to Vienna in a couple of weeks as well. We're gonna visit the Christmas markets, and oh, it's just great to be back out there and just bringing music to people. And, and probably a cliche, but I really have felt this sense of like not taking it for granted like after this last kind of couple of years i've realized like everything you can lose and every show that we've played so far post-covid has been extremely special to me it has it hasn't felt like going through the motions at all which you know i think maybe towards the end of some of the touring and previous albums I, i was starting to take it a little bit for granted whereas now i feel like i might never you know might never do that again touch wood looking forward to it immensely and then back in england scotland wales in march 2022 so um see, yeah. see, see you live again next year will be great and then are you working on new stuff is there anything bubbling under in terms of what's coming next as well yeah i think i'm i think i am <laughs> i'm not i'm 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 not sure if i am but i guess i am i suppose it's it's weird because a lot of strange little voice memos on my phone, which I can't remember doing half of them. <laughs> and uh, there's little snippets of um, sound checks from the past couple of weeks, which I feel like could be fun to kind of loop and then write over and lots of weird little ideas um, and lots of kind of strange, dark, like mini poems and songs and stuff that I'm sort of realizing I wouldn't really want to bring to an audience yet but I think there's something bubbling in them which is interesting there's like a tension starting to happen yeah watch this space nice nice well this has been so fabulous Connor I have to say I've loved every second of chatting with you thank you so much thank you Dan likewise I really Uh, appreciate it oh well bless you I have two final questions for you Uh, you are allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life it can be the jam the style council or solo what are you going to go with oh that is so difficult my god um wow I think the song that comes to mind, it's a weird one. Um, it's a song called Science. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's its kind of a deep cut. I think it's on, on Terrible Albums. Is it on 22 Dreams, maybe? But it's just a song which has this, it's just like a, I just love the lyrics to it. It's kind of, they're just very, um, or maybe it's on Heavy Soul. I could be wrong, but yeah. yeah it's, it's Heavy Soul, you're right. Yeah, it's Heavy Soul, song. yeah. Uh, and it's just got like a rim shot the whole way through. And the lyrics are just so kind of, Again, it's kind of all about like finding that authentic thing inside of you. And it's, um, I remember getting a lot out of it kind of when I was, when I was growing up and listening to it. And, uh, yeah, science might be one of the, one of the, one of the weird deep cuts I might choose, you know? Yeah. That's a really good song. Yeah. There's a pen in my pocket. Does that make me a writer? Yeah. 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 Gloves yeah. on my hands will make me a fighter. That's a cool tune. And final question. Purpose of this podcast is not least to me amazing people like yourself, but it's to get the interview with Paul Weller that I never managed in my radio career. I have one regret giving up radio 10 years ago, never got the interview with Weller. If it happens, what should I talk to him about? Have you not, have you not interviewed him for the podcast? No, mm-hmm. never. The, the end goal is to interview him for the podcast but it hasn't happened yet I'll get him on the phone right now and we can have a <laughs> no he, uh, what should you ask him did you say yeah what do you reckon I should ask him is there, any, is there anything you'd like to know as a fan uh, oh Jesus Christ that's, that's a big one I don't know I think he's been asked every single question yeah yeah because <laughs> I always find with Paul, like he, he seems to sort of just want to live in the moment you know and, and I remember when I first met him I sort of made myself not ask him lots of questions, which I wanted to ask him because I thought like if I was in his position, I wouldn't 
want to be asked questions about something I did 15 years ago or 20 years ago. But I guess if you're a, if you're a journalist or your podcast, that's kind of that's kind of your job, you know. I would just ask him how he's doing today and if he's feeling good, you know, and if he wants a cup of coffee. That's what I would ask. Him. Yeah. Nice, nice. I've heard he makes good tea actually. I've I have heard that. Oh yeah, we had we I think I, yeah, had a nice had a nice black tea at Blackburn. Yeah. Uh, Connor, this has been so fabulous. Thank you so much. I have to say, Thank you, Dan. Um, I, I've loved all your work. I can't wait to see what's next. And once again, back on the road in 2022. So I hope to see you live again next year. But thanks for your time, man. Cheers, Dan. I really appreciate it. Thank you. My thanks once again to Connor O'Brien, a.k.a. Villagers, for joining me on the podcast. Make sure you head to my website, paulwellerfanpodcast.com, to find out more about Villagers and the various collaborations with Paul. If you've enjoyed listening, then please click to leave a review and share the episode on your social media channels. It really does help us to find new listeners to the show. You can also buy me a coffee and get in touch on social media as well. You'll find me on Twitter at WellerFanPod or on Instagram and Facebook. It's Paul Weller Fan Podcast. I'll see you next time. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work.